thank you, Pastor Sean, for sharing those things with us. And uh, I'd like to just add a couple of things, if, if, if I may. First of all, we, we are sharing communion today. And so if you haven't already, uh, maybe pause this video. You can come back and press play and just go get some bread and go get some juice of, of some type. And we'll be celebrating and sharing that together at the end uh, of our message today. Also, just a reminder, uh, at the end of the service, we will have, like I've already shared, uh, be celebrating communion together. The foyer will still continue to be on after that, so also look for that. I want to mention, uh, have a special mention, uh, we're thinking and our prayers are with uh, both Richard and Maxine at the moment. Uh, Maxine's father, John, he passed away yesterday, 97 years of age. He passed away and the the family are now mourning and grieving his loss. And so our thoughts are with his wife Heather and of course with Maxine and the whole family. And so I just encourage our whole church community, keep them in your thoughts and prayers, especially at this time. And Richard and Maxine and the entire family, we just want to let you know that we're, we're thinking of you, we're praying for you and we're here for you. So whatever you may need, know that we're, we're here to give you strength and courage in this time also. So our prayers are with you. With that said, I'd like to continue this morning with our, with our series. We've been looking at prayer. The, the series is titled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. For as the disciples did as they came and they asked Jesus to teach them, so we also come and we ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And we have this wonderful privilege to come in our, in our needs, to come in, in, in our, our times of praise. All of these times, all the grey in between, we have this opportunity to come to our wonderful Father in prayer. We've been looking at all different themes and uh, last week Pastor John mentioned and focused on the give us our daily bread, our, our, our everyday needs. It made me think a little bit more. I wonder what needs you might have. Now this is a, a famous hierarchy. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Now this is a theory in psychology proposed by Abraham Maslow in his 1943 paper, uh, a theory of human motivation. And the theory is this. The theory is that individuals' most basic needs must be met before they can become motivated to achieve higher level needs. For instance, if you look at there, I know it's probably a little fuzzy on your screen, but right at the base are the physiological needs. The people need food, we need shelter, we need warmth. There's, there's no point focusing on some of the other needs in a person's life, in our life, if these basic needs are met and then there's safety and then belonging and love and self-esteem and then the very top self-actualisation, sort of the the, the pinnacle of what Maslow was aiming for. So you need to meet the most basic needs first at the bottom, is the premise. I I found an adapted version of this uh, this week. Someone has taken this and thrown Wi-Fi in right at the bottom as the most basic need and I must admit that in this crazy time, we're all using the internet, we're all using our computers more than ever, and we all need that Wi-Fi connection, don't we? It's interesting, tongue-in-cheek, of course. I wonder what your needs are. If you were to really ask what your needs are, I wonder what you would say. I wonder if you would put Wi-Fi as the most basic of your needs. But last week, 
Pastor John shared about our physical needs. Today we're going to continue to look at some of our spiritual needs. And we're going to look at this whole idea of confession and restitution as found in the Lord's Prayer. It reads like this. Pray like this, said Jesus. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation but rescue us from the evil one. Today we're going to focus on verse 12 and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And I must admit that this message has been shaped a little like I couldn't help but shape the thoughts today because of the celebration of this weekend. And the, the first thought that came to mind was the reminder that we're invited to pray and we're invited to address God as our Father. That Jesus invites us to address God in this very intimate and relational term, Father. And as we go into this, just a reminder that this is a relational prayer. This is, in your mind, imagine a mental image of a child addressing their dad. And for us, as God's children, as sons and daughters of the Most High, we are coming before our Heavenly Father with these prayers and these requests. We mentioned Father way at the start. Yet this, this whole idea is, is a part of this whole prayer. It's, it's the mode of the entire prayer. It's the, not just the first line that we reflect on God as Father, but we come to him as our Father. We come to him with our requests. We worship him. We contemplate. We spend time with him, our Heavenly Father. And today we say the words, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we are also speaking these words to our Heavenly Father as children coming to him. Father, forgive us. See, this today we look at some continued verses that continue on like I shared from last week, but do you notice that today's theme isn't a separate idea? It flows from the previous one. You'll notice there that it says, give us today the food we need, comma, and forgive us our sins. The idea, the thought actually continues. It's not a new idea. And so when I was young, I used to wonder, how does it go from food to forgiveness? How do we go from focusing to everyday needs like food and shelter to, to being forgiven? I, I didn't quite understand that. So if you look closely, you can see that as much as we need daily food to keep us alive physically, so our spiritual part of ourselves needs forgiveness and we need to choose to forgive. The need for food and the need for forgiveness are integral to what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ and just to be human. And so we're going to unpack this. First, there's this idea of confession. Forgive us our sins. The invitation from Jesus is to come to our Father in humility and with the request, Lord, forgive us. And it shows that we have a need for forgiveness. Each one of us has a need, a deep-seated need for forgiveness. 
you might be thinking, but I'm a good person, I don't need forgiveness. <laughs> I love some of the scriptures we read that paint a picture of the, the state we find ourselves in. The first is Isaiah 53, 6, that all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. All like sheep, we have all strayed away. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Everyone has sinned, but thanks be to God for his grace. In Romans again, I love the Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. Easy to remember. For the wages of sin is death. So if we've all sinned, well, the, the consequence of that is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see the picture? We've all been separated from God. Like sheep, like a person walking their own paths with the consequences being spiritual death. In the midst of this, God gives us his free gift through Jesus Christ our Lord. And 1 John 1.8, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. He is faithful. I love this promise, not if you pray hard enough. Or or, or long enough. Or if I'm in a good mood, I'll forgive your sins. No, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful. He is just and he will cleanse us. And so we find that as we come and if we're truly honest, we all need forgiveness. We all need to be restored to God. We all need to be forgiven and thanks be to God Through Jesus Christ, we can be restored to him. If we only come as Jesus invites us to, confess our true state before him. So we all need forgiveness. Today, I'd also like to focus on this other aspect of this idea. You see, we all need forgiveness. But our Heavenly Father, remember, Our Heavenly Father in whom we offer this prayer to is willing to forgive. He's willing to forgive us in our place of need. And it drew me to one of the, quite a popular and famous parable in Luke chapter 15. I encourage you to open it from verses 11 to 31. You may even like to read it in its fullness in your own time. This morning I just want to share the the parable is of the, the, the lost son. And it's titled that. In my version, there are little subheadings that have been placed there to help break up and to guide us as we read. And the actual title is The Parable of the Lost Son. And you may know the story. Jesus is telling this parable, he's telling this story to people who have come to hear him teach. Sorry. They've, they've come to hear him share about the kingdom of God, to learn about God. And so Jesus shares this story and he shares a story of two sons 
And the youngest of the two sons come to, comes to his father and says, I want you to share your, my share of the estate with me right now. Share it with me before you die. And what a statement. In reality, what the, the youngest son is saying to the father is, I would actually prefer you dead so that I can have my inheritance and go off and enjoy my life. And yet the father agrees and he divides his wealth between his sons. And the, the son goes, a few days later it says he goes, goes to a distant land and there he wastes all his money on wild living. And as his money runs out, a great famine sweeps upon the land and he goes and he finds himself, the only work he can find himself doing is feeding pigs. We read that in verse 16, the young man becomes so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs looked good to him. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a place where the food of pigs looks gourmet. But this is where he finds himself. No one gives him anything. He's, He's run out. All the friends he had in wealth have run away, long gone. We read that when he finally comes to his senses, he says, I would be better off at home even as a hired servant. So he goes homeward. He decides to go, sharing to his father that I have sinned against you. No longer to be called your son, so please take me on as a hired hand. And so he returns home to his father. And I love in verse 20. It says, and while the young son is still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and said to him, sorry, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you, both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. For my son who was dead has now returned to life. He was lost but now is found. And so the party began. It's a beautiful image. have one son that's run off and squandered all his wealth and come back. And if you read on, the second son is actually quite jealous. The second son is like, well, I've been faithful. I've been here for you and you would waste all this money on this son who would offend you so. And the father, the beauty in this image is the father is is gracious to both sons. To the the son who has squandered all his wealth and to the other son also, who's a little bit like the jealous brat. What about me? But what about me? We can find ourselves in one of those two camps. But the Father, he's gracious to both of them and pours out his love to both. Especially to the son that was lost and is now returned. And what an image. It's interesting that this passage is called the parable of the lost son But in reality, it's far more about the Father. It's far more about the grace and the love of the Father who had all the right to disown his Son. And it even still pours out his grace and his love and his forgiveness on him. This is a picture of the Father that we come to. As Jesus says, 
call out to your father, address this prayer to your father. This is the father he has in mind. This is a later story that that he shares with his disciples to clarify, to, to further enhance this idea of who our heavenly father is. A father who waits for us to come to him in humility, to confess our brokenness and our need for him. And he's waiting for us. He, he, he's watching. But this is important because I believe that the way we think of God will affect the way we come to him and, and the way we approach him. And so often we come to God almost with our, our tail between our legs. Father, forgive us. And we just hope, we just hope that he'll hear us. We hope that he won't be angry with us. This image and this story that Jesus shares shows a God who is willing, who is waiting for us to come to him. So be encouraged. As Jesus invites us to pray, he invites us to come to a heavenly father who is waiting to forgive us, who has made it possible waits for us. He's willing, quick to forgive if we only come in humility and confess. I love a Psalm 148, sorry, Psalm 145 verse 8 which says, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. So know that you come to a father who is waiting. As you come and you bring and admit your brokenness, our need for him he comes with open arms. I wonder, maybe you have never prayed this prayer before. Maybe you've never come to the Father. Maybe you've never reached out to God in this way and said, Father, forgive me. I invite you today to come and ask your loving Heavenly Father to forgive you. He stands and he waits with open arms to embrace you once more, to restore you back to himself. I invite you to come and call out in the quiet of your heart, Father, forgive me. Father, thank you for your love. And for those of us who have a faith in him, I would encourage you to come in confidence in the days to come. As you pray these words, to remember the father in the parable of the prodigal son who waits with open arms and who is willing and quick to forgive. And our response to this in Ephesians 1, 6, 8, I love these words that flow out of this. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. So today we come and we praise our God, our Heavenly Father who forgives us, pours out his grace, purchased our freedom. I pray that you may know that freedom here today and that you may celebrate in that too. So we respond by praising God, but we also respond with something else. As we have been forgiven, so we are all in also invited and called 
to forgive. See, the second part of this prayer calls us to reconcile, to reconciliation with those around us. It it makes us realise that we also have a need to forgive. As we have been forgiven, so it is also our need to forgive those around us. Jesus expands on this idea in the Gospel of Matthew where the Lord's Prayer is recorded. A few verses just straight after and and almost a part of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus shares these words. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. These are powerful words. This isn't an, an option as a follower of Jesus Christ. No, as, as we have been forgiven, so we are called to forgive. As we understand what forgiveness is, so we also release forgiveness to those around us. And Paul echoes this idea in the, his letter to the Colossians where he writes, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You must forgive others. Part of receiving is receiving forgiveness is passing it on to those around us. And it's expanded in Matthew 18. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open there too. Because in Matthew 18, we read the parable of the unforgiving debtors. I used to love this story when I was younger. I want to read it. It says, Then Peter came to him and said, one of the disciples, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but seventy-seven times. And he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and had him put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Now when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart, says Jesus. Jesus is pointing to the fact that the debt we have been forgiven is great. 
enormous in fact. And we are called to pass that on, that forgiveness and that grace to those around us. I know as I say these words, they're, they're easy to say. For forgiveness is often one of the most difficult things to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't feel natural. It goes against our, our natural and human instinct. It often just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel fair. But they deserve it, we often think or feel. We find that unforgiveness only makes us all the more bitter. And all it does is heap a burden on our shoulders that we were never meant to carry. We are called to focus our eyes off our own problems, but to focus on the grace that God extends to us. And in this place, so we can extend the same grace and forgiveness to those around us, trusting the situation in God's hands. Sometimes I think some of the greatest encouragements come from the life of those who have gone before us. People who have gone and experienced life in different ways. I'd like to share two stories with you. I find them inspiring, especially in regards to this idea of forgiveness. And the first is the story of Corrie ten Boom, who she and her sister had been arrested for concealing Jews in their home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. Now she records this in her book, The Hiding Place. Now she was sharing, and then as she often would share at different churches, at one time, at one point in time, after the service, a, a man came up to her. And this man had been a guard at Ravensbrook concentration camp where we were sent. She writes, he was in front of me, his hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And she writes, it was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there, but since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. And again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If we do not forgive their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. Still I stood there, she writes, with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. 
you supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one into the one stretched out to me and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang, sprang into our joined hands and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And she continues and writes this, And so I discovered that it is not our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. Powerful story of forgiveness. And as I read that, although my life does not even compare, my troubles do not even compare to this, I can be encouraged to know that if she could, by the power of the Holy Spirit, forgive in this way, then I can also. So I can. So I can. I'd like to share with you one last story. I'd like to introduce it and then show you a, a clip of a couple of gentlemen who, who lived it out. It comes from a, a film titled End of the Spear. It came out in, in 2005. And it recounts the true story of Operation Orca in 1956 in which five American Christian missionaries, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming and Ed McCulley and Roger Uteran, all these gentlemen who moved to Ecuador during the early 50s, they came to befriend and attempt to evangelise a remote tribe, the Waldani people of the tropical rainforest of eastern Ecuador. These people were known as one of the most violent social groups in modern history. Family members routinely killed one another over simple disagreements. Babies who cried too much were abandoned. And vengeance in all its homicidal fury was considered an acceptable motive for spearing and killing one another. Not just outside the tribe but even within it. These savages as they were called by the tribes around them were known for murder with little remorse and no regret. Five men would go, train for years and then on an aeroplane fly in to meet these people, start to build a relationship with them and then what would be discovered later to be a misunderstanding, they are murdered and killed by these savages, barely even beginning to know their names and all seemed lost, all seemed like such a waste. But a far more remarkable part of the story is not just the sacrifice of these five men. It was that Rachel Saint, the sister of one of the slain missionaries, still, and even and Elizabeth Elliot, the very widow of one of the slain missionaries, still felt the need to go and to share the gospel with this tribe, these people who had killed their own husband, their own brother. And they were able to make inroads. They were able to come and to share their lives with them and to share the love of Jesus with them. 
And within just two years of the arrival of these women, the homicide rate among this tribe dropped by 90% as they came to experience the love of Jesus Christ. And their peace continues to this day, we are told, along with several family members of the men who were murdered. They were all, uh, all serving the Lord among the indigenous people of their country. Part of the incredible story of what we're about to, 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 to watch now is that of Steve Saint. Steve was the son of Nate Saint, one of the missionaries who was killed in the encounter. We're going to hear from Steve, the son of one of these very men, and Min Kayani, I hope I've pronounced that right, one of the very tribesmen who took part in the attack and it was also discovered who actually killed Steve's very father. You see, the amazing part of this story is that the two eventually formed a lifelong bond that continues to this day. Son whose father was murdered comes to know the murderer as his very own uncle and almost adopted father. It's an amazing story of forgiveness. We often can't understand and find it difficult to listen to some of the things that God encourages, that Jesus encourages us. And forgiveness would be one I would say at the top of the list, Father, I don't understand. But when we trust him, God does amazing things. That's far more than we do. So he invites us, he calls us to find forgiveness in him and to offer forgiveness to those around us. Today we're also coming to the the table, to the communion table. We're going to take the cup, we're going to take bread and they remind us of what Jesus Christ would do to make it possible for us to be restored, to be forgiven, for our sins to be dealt with. Jesus would come and He would die a death on a cross so that we could know forgiveness. And as we take the bread and as we take the cup, they become become for us symbols of the broken body of Jesus Christ and his blood poured out for us. It's interesting again. In 1 Corinthians 11.26 we read, Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus took two symbols, a piece of bread and some some juice, which in and of themselves uh, were just daily essentials. They were daily needs. Food, the cup needed to sustain us and, and for us to live physically. And yet Jesus takes them His everyday symbols become reminders of a greater spiritual need. Yes, we need our daily food, but we need forgiveness that comes by the broken body of Jesus Christ. And as we receive this forgiveness that Jesus offers us, so we also go and offer it to those around us, trusting in our Heavenly Father. 
Jesus took the bread we read in scripture and he broke it. He prayed and he gave thanks for it. He also took the cup and he did the same. I'm going to pray for these elements now. I hope that you have them with you. I hope that you have them in your hand as we pray. If not, pause, go get the elements now, come back. I'm going to pray for them and then I'm just going to, going to step down. And I invite you just to take a few moments to sit, to share in this, take the, the bread, take the cup. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he invites you to come and to take this bread, to take this cup. If you're with people in your home, offer it to one another. Offer it to one another, saying the words, this is the body of Christ broken from you. This is the cup poured out for you. And take a moment together as a family just to pray and to thank God for his forgiveness and for his love and for the strength to live our lives with that same forgiveness, offering it to those around us. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for this bread. We thank you for this cup. May they be a reminder for us now of the death that you went through, the suffering that you would endure, all done because of your great love for us, all done so that we could be reconciled with you, so that we could be forgiven. And we just want to thank you. We thank you for this cup also, this juice that represents your blood that would wash us as white as snow. We thank you, Father. We also thank you that you rose again, that you defeated death, so that we too may know that we may rise again, that we may know life beyond this physical one, Father. We just give you praise, we give you thanks. We can't do anything else but pour out our praises to you for who you are and for the love that you pour out on us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.